This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. I don't think that the government uh, should be funding media. I mean, we're doing it right now. There's a crisis. Uh, there's an emergency. Okay, but in the long run, I, we need to find uh, we need to find longer term solutions. And I'm, I'm, I've been um, looking very closely at what France has announced they wanted to do regarding neighboring, neighboring rights in the media, what Australia uh, is, is looking at doing. I was on, um, I've been talking with the French uh, heritage minister. I haven't spoken to the Australians yet, but it will be, uh, it will be coming soon. But we're, um, uh, I, I, this is something that I, I, I think that those who benefit from the media content of of our, our our news and information agencies in Canada should be should be paying their fair share. If they're making money out of this, then uh, I mean there should be there should be a system where part of that money goes to the people who created uh, this in in the first place. Uh, so, so we will be looking at that. We we will be coming up with something in in um, in the fall, uh, looking at uh, neighboring rights. Uh, News and news and information organization and 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 web giants as well. Canadian Heritage Minister Stephen Guibault recently called into question his own government's policies on supporting news media, suggesting that those programs be replaced by copyright rules that would open the door to payments from internet companies such as Google and Facebook. Guibault indicated that a legislative package was being prepared for the fall, which would include a press publisher's right, which is commonly referred to as an internet link tax. Now, the plan has yet to be formally introduced, and it faces some big barriers. It was opposed by the government's own copyright review. Copyright itself is a shared responsibility with Industry Canada, and the government is unsurprisingly preoccupied with its response to COVID-19. But now that it's on the policy agenda, it's worth learning more about the experience elsewhere, particularly given that Guibault cited France as a model. Yulia Rida is a former member of the European Parliament who for several years was the most active and visible politician in Europe when it came to copyright reform. Their multi-year debate ultimately led to the adoption of both a link tax and upload filters. She joins me on the podcast to talk about that experience, why she believes the approach harms freedom of expression and diversity of media, and what lessons Canada should draw from previous attempts to implement a link tax. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Canadian Heritage Minister uh, Stephen Guibault recently announced plans to introduce uh, what some call a press publisher's right, uh, and he referenced copyright neighboring rights. Others, of course, have referred to it as a link tax. Given that you found yourself as immersed, I think, as anyone on this issue, alongside the upload filter issue, when the European Parliament was actively engaged in reform issues, and you were, I think, the most vocal MEP at the time, uh, you're a perfect person to come on and talk a bit about these issues. So why don't we start with the basics? What is, uh, let's call it the press publisher's right, a sense of where it originated, and and how it fits within copyright law. Yeah, so this press publisher's right, uh, like you said, is a neighboring right under copyright law. So these neighboring rights, uh, I think the first one uh, 
that was introduced was the neighboring right for press publishers in Germany in 2013. And there it was very much an invention of our largest uh, tabloid publisher, Axel Springer, who asked for this for many years and it was eventually introduced. And the way that neighboring rights generally function is that they protect something that is not necessarily a creative work. Uh, so they don't protect uh, the author as copyright does. Um, or is supposed to anyway, but rather they protect an investment. And um, other areas where we have had neighboring rights are, for example, uh, the neighboring rights in phonograms, so sound recordings, where you have on the one hand uh, the copyright of a uh, somebody who has written a piece of music, and then you have the neighboring right of the uh, record label that has actually made the the recording. And um, the press publishers in Germany, or this one large tabloid publisher in particular, for a long time had been arguing that they should have such a right that they could enforce against Google um, in particular when Google is using short parts um, of press articles in search results or in Google News. So this is why we've been referring to this as a link tax, because really um, it's a way of cashing in on uh, Google linking to news articles and using short, small snippets of those articles to illustrate the links. I think the uh, controversy around this is probably one of the things that has really politicized me for copyright questions. So I remember uh, protesting against these proposals back in 2011 or something like that. So it's really been kind of a long ongoing battle because uh, in my opinion, uh, these neighboring rights have never actually succeeded at their intended goal, which is to take money from Google and give it to the publishers. But if anything, have uh, cost the publishers a lot of money and also um, destroyed a lot of competition to Google that uh, is not able to survive in an environment where they have to clear these rights. So, so you mentioned Germany was the the first to ha to have this, and you talked about some of the some of the experience today. Can you elaborate a little bit on on what the experience was in Germany, and if there were some other countries? I think Spain has also had some experience with this approach. Before we get into the the EU debate that took place, yeah. So in Germany, the argument uh, that the publishers was making uh, wasn't completely outlandish. So they were pointing out, I guess correctly, that uh, the business model of press publishers had suffered from uh, the introduction of the internet and eventually businesses such as Google. Um, I mean, that can't be completely denied that advertising revenues have been going down and also uh, classified ads, which used to be a large income source uh, for print newspapers have more or less gone away because there are just more efficient ways of selling your bicycle or your car uh, than putting a costly ad in the newspaper. So, uh, where the analysis, I think, breaks down is that when the press publishers were arguing that the reason why Google has hurt their business model is not because they have uh, created an alternative market for advertisement through the collection of personal data, but rather the press publishers were claiming that Google has been able to destroy their revenue by using press publishers' content for free. And um, I think this is a pretty absurd claim because anybody who works in the news industry knows that newspapers actually pay 
social media optimizers to make sure that their news articles show up in search results on Google as prominently and as attractively as possible. So publishers actually have a very strong interest in showing up in Google search results and having pictures next to the articles and making the links look as attractive as possible because uh, the higher they show up in the search results, the more people click on the links and the more advertising revenue the publishers generate on their own websites. So where they were right, I guess, was uh, to say that um, their business models had suffered and that Google had something to do with it. But where they were completely wrong was arguing that uh, the use of snippets in search results and the use of links to the articles was somehow hurting their business model. So what happened in Germany was that uh, in 2013, uh, the copyright law was changed and press publishers were given the right to forbid the use of very small parts of newspaper articles. So in other words, if um, Google wanted to show these uh, short parts of the newspaper articles in their links, they would have to pay a license to the press publishers. Of course, you can't protect a single word. I mean, that's just a part of language and it's not something that is protectable, but a sentence or something like that could be protected. So what Google ended up doing was to um, only show the headlines of those news articles and remove everything else from the snippet. And um, the press publishers pretty quickly learned that uh, a lot fewer people would click on a link that doesn't look as attractive. So uh, the press publishers ended up giving Google a free license to use their snippet anyway, because uh, that's what Google had been doing all along and it had worked well and led to a lot of traffic uh, to the newspaper's website. But uh, the problem and the really, I think, anti-competitive effect of this law was that the press publishers had no incentive to give a free license to everyone. So in the end, they ended up charging small startups that were developing their own news aggregation services or uh, media monitoring services. And some of them had to go out of business because they weren't able to pay these licensing fees. But Google, as the market leader, in search did not have to pay anything at all. So um, in every respect, I think the German uh, press publishers right failed to meet its objective. There was a lot of litigation between Google and uh, the press publishers to figure out whether Google had to pay anything at all. And eventually um, the European Court of Justice declared the German implementation of the neighboring right invalid. And now in 2020, so seven years after the law was originally introduced, the press publishers have finally dropped their lawsuit because they don't have uh, a leg to stand on there. And they have wasted millions and millions in court costs, which now the publishers have to pay themselves. And Google is not going to have to pay anything. And so basically the publishers have financially suffered from this law small competitors have suffered and the only one who hasn't suffered from it i guess is google except having to uh, be in court for seven years so i think it, it was just a resounding failure in every respect 
And that's a remarkable story. I mean, there's been so much focus of late around competition concerns with respect to Google and a desire for more competition against some of the big players. And this perversely created the opposite, where Google ultimately gets it for free because of how valuable the links actually were. And this ultimately harms the potential entry of new competitors into the marketplace. Yeah, I think that is exactly right. I mean, there are ideological differences about whether you think that large companies that make a lot of money from advertising should cross-finance the press sector or not. But I think even if you do think that, even if you think that, well, because Google and Facebook have this uh, targeted advertising empire, they have a responsibility to finance journalism, well, you could pass a law to that effect, but you should not use copyright as the means to do so because copyright applies to everybody. If you say that press publishers have a right to forbid the use of small parts of newspaper articles, even though those parts are so insignificant that are not even protected by copyright, well, then that applies to everybody. And then press publishers are going to start charging the small startups that we actually want to flourish and that could one day become competitors to the likes of Google. Yes. So the that the German experience is, I think, uh, instructive. I believe Spain had experience with this as well, leading up to the the European attempt to implement something. Can, do you know much about what took place in Spain? Yeah, so um, Spain was trying to learn from the failure of the German neighboring right. So they saw that um, all the press publishers, even the ones that had strongly lobbied for this neighboring right, ended up giving Google a free license. And their interpretation of the situation was that, well, if only all the press publishers had stuck together and refused to give Google a free license, then Google would have caved and would have started paying the licensing fee. So they saw it as kind of a collective bargaining problem. And so their solution was uh, to make this neighboring right inalienable. So that means that a press publisher would have to charge money for uh, the use of snippets, whether they want to or not. And that was really devastating for newspapers who were using Creative Commons, for example. Um, because suddenly um, the law was basically saying that they had to charge for the distribution of their news. And if you are building a newspaper that is using the internet to its advantage and your goal is to get your news spread as far and wide as possible, uh, this kind of legislation is really harmful. And um, it did not only harm business models based on Creative Commons, it actually also did not uh, achieve its purpose of convincing to Google to pay for snippets because I think what they underestimated was, or what they overestimated rather, was uh, the importance of news for Google. So um, Google News itself is a service that Google offers, but that doesn't create any significant revenues for Google itself. As far as I know, they don't show any advertisement on Google News as such. And it's also not used by that many people compared to the general search. So it's more something that is used by news professionals and so on. And in Google search, um, I mean, the way that Google makes money is through targeted advertising that it shows next to your search results. 
And generally speaking, the kinds of search results that lend really uh, attractive advertising spots is if somebody is searching for different car models or if somebody is searching for, for a vacation destination and not necessarily when they're searching for, for the news. So what Google ended up doing was basically to say, okay, if we can't use these snippets uh, for free, then we're simply not going to show them in the search results. Um, I think this is also a reasonable stance from a neutrality point of view that as a search engine, you only include the content that uh, is freely available for you to use. So uh, Google actually shut down its Google News service in Spain because it was not uh, profitable or rather it would have been um, uh, it would have cost Google money to run this service. So they simply shut it down, um, which was uh, well really a problem for uh, Spanish news sites. So uh, traffic to Spanish news sites dropped. And ironically, in some cases, it led to um, uh, Spanish language news outlets run from Mexico taking over some of that market because uh, they were not affected by the Spanish law that was making the running of the news business more difficult. So in the, in the end, this law was also discontinued because it uh, failed to achieve its desired results. Okay, so, so two for two in the sense of attempts to try to put this forward uh, and it not working particularly well. And I have to say from a Canadian perspective, the example of having Mexican-based news organizations filling a gap in Spain will resonate given that, of course, we share a large border with the United States and already have so much U.S.-based news. One wonders what would happen um, if Canadian news would largely disappear from a news service. There would be lots of news. It just wouldn't be Canadian-based in terms of what might be available. But we'll park that to the side for the moment. Spain doesn't work particularly well. Germany doesn't work particularly well. And yet the European Union or the Commission decides to move ahead with the, with a similar kind of proposal. Do you, do you have a sense of, or can you explain why, given those experiences, they decided to move ahead with similar kinds of proposals? Well, there's a very simple explanation uh, for that. So, uh, like I said earlier, the originator of uh, the idea of the neighboring right for press publishers was the German tabloid publisher Axel Springer. They have very strong connections to the German government and the German political parties um, to the extent that um, in the past, uh, chancellors from uh, you know across the political spectrum, like the Social Democrat uh, Chancellor Gerhard Schröder back in the day said that they need these tabloids to govern. Um, so there's this very strong relationship between this publisher and the uh, German political parties and a strong dependency on good coverage from that tabloid publisher. And um, the commissioner who was in charge of digital affairs when the copyright directive was drafted happened to be a German conservative, Günther Oettinger. So as soon as he was appointed for uh, the digital portfolio, he started making press statements uh, to the effect that his priority would be the introduction of this neighboring right for press publishers. So it's pretty clear that this was a case of direct lobbying from one publisher uh, to have it introduced. Uh, the European Parliament was opposed for a very long time and um, in the end, it was adopted in the Responsible Legal Affairs Committee by a one-vote majority. So it was a very narrow 
uh, vote and it almost did not make it through the European Parliament. But basically, there was a, a very strong concerted campaign from that particular publisher and also from publishers associations to basically disregard all of the academic evidence and all of the bad experiences with this law and uh, introduce it anyway. So personally, I have never seen uh, such a strong lobbying effort for any one provision as I've seen for the neighboring right for press publishers. That's remarkable. Can you can you talk a bit about that? The, there was this obviously tight debate, uh, ultimately coming down to a single vote, as you mentioned. What were some of the specific concerns that were being raised by the critics about this proposal? Um, so I think the, the biggest problem with the neighboring right is that it protects language. If you look at other neighboring rights, let's say uh, the neighboring rights for um, sound recordings. If I play a piece of music, then um, I can make a sound recording of that, but it does not stop somebody else from making a sound recording for the same piece of music because uh, the, you know the recordings will never be identical. But when we're talking about text, there is no such distinction between the, the form and the content. If you write the same sentence, uh, it's always going to be the same text. Um, so that means that the neighboring right for press publishers is essentially protecting the same thing that copyright is protecting. Uh, but it's broader because it does not require originality. So if you took this idea to the extreme, then the press publisher would have the right to forbid the use of a single word or even a single character of the alphabet because there is no inbuilt lower limit of what a neighboring right protects. In copyright, there is this lower limit of originality, but um, neighboring rights have no such concept. So in principle, a single second from a movie is already protected by a neighboring right or a single second from a sound recording. It might be fair use to use it depending on what jurisdiction you're in, uh, but it is something that uh, falls under this neighboring right. And so for text, that just doesn't make any sense. It's basically saying that the press publisher can uh, forbid the use of a certain expression. And the only way to even make that work on some level is that you have to introduce some kind of exception to it to say that, okay, a certain number of words is excluded or something like that. But even then, it's still a huge um, impingement on freedom of expression and freedom of information that suddenly somebody is uh, able to forbid you from using a certain sentence that may very well have uh, been written by different authors in different works independently of each other. Because we are not talking about, you know, a poem or a book that is so original that no two people could come up with it. We are talking about something like uh, Germany beats Brazil 3-0 in the Football World Cup. That could be protected by the neighboring right, that very sentence. And that, of course, uh, causes a lot of problems uh, with freedom of expression. So you got some core, both copyright and freedom of expression concerns. Uh, I know that there's been a, there's been a lot of focus, we all know, around fake, misleading news. Uh, was there a sense that this could have an impact on that? Yeah, so um, 
one difficulty with the neighboring right is that it adds transaction costs. So if you're running a search engine, for example, or a social network, you would suddenly have to um, negotiate licenses with press publishers before you can link to their websites. But of course, you can still continue to link for free to any other website. So basically, um, it would discourage news aggregators or search engines from carrying the content from the quality media. Because you can be pretty sure that the likes of Russia today are not going to start enforcing a neighboring right for press publishers. So if you are creating misinformation, usually your goal is to have it spread as widely as possible. Sometimes um, misinformation producers even pay to have their content boosted, you know, to have it distributed as uh, a targeted advertisement to reach as many people as possible. So if on the one hand you have the quality media trying to charge money for people being able to spread their content, and on the other hand you have misinformation producers paying money to have the content uh, boosted and have it spread as widely as possible, of course, you're going to see a lot more of the misinformation than the quality media. That's a great point. There, the, there was also, as, as you mentioned, this is often referred to as a link tax. Uh, the European Commission argued it wouldn't affect hyperlinking. Uh, what was your view on that issue? Well, this is kind of uh, a weird distinction because, of course, uh, the neighboring right for press publishers covers the text of the press publication it doesn't cover the URL. So if you, uh, so what the commission was trying to say was, well, you're still allowed to use URLs that aren't part of the press publication. But the problem is that quite often the URL already includes at least the headline of the news article, which would be protected by the neighboring right. Um, and secondly, Nobody really likes to click on a link that is just a string of characters and you don't know what to expect on the other side of the link. So if you want to run a website that is even remotely user-friendly, you're going to use an extract from the article you're linking to to illustrate the link. This could be a thumbnail picture, it could be the headline of the news article, or in the case of a search engine, you're probably going to show a few words around the word that has been the search term. And all of that would be an infringement of the neighboring right because you are using an extract of the article without a license. So even if the URL as such is free to use, which is questionable already because it could include the headline, if you want to use a link that people actually want to click on, you would be coming into conflict with this neighboring right. Okay, so so this but we've got you've identified now freedom of expression concerns, copyright related concerns, competition concerns, concerns around the 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 news sphere, the arena where it is actually may provide a boost to misleading information, and and concerns around the underlying links themselves. Uh, was there an attempt to address some of these issues throughout the legislative process as it unfolded? Yes, so um, in the European legislative process, a lot of exceptions were introduced into the legal text uh, over time. And so the end result 
um, looks fairly similar to the old neighboring right that we had uh, in Germany, which uh, again did not work in practice, but uh, at least it included a exception for very short extracts um, of news articles. But of course, that doesn't necessarily tell a business owner what exactly they are allowed to do because there is no definition of what constitutes a, a very short extract. Um, is it five words? If it, is it 20 words that you're allowed to use? Is it the headline? Um, or if we're talking about images, because um, the neighboring right protects all parts of a press publication, so not just the text, uh, is a short extract of a, a news video three seconds, 20 seconds, nobody knows. So this is a kind of legal uncertainty that a large company like Google is able to litigate. And they did in Germany. I mean, uh, the German law from 2013 had exactly the same formulation. They fought seven years in court over what it means until in the end, the law was declared invalid. And, uh, you know, the only people who benefited from that were the lawyers who probably made a lot of money but um, if you're a small startup, that kind of exception is probably not going to help you very much because you can't afford to be sued in the first place, even if it turns out after many years that you were correct and your business was non-infringing. So there is an exception in the law for uh, these very short extracts. There's also an exception for acts of hyperlinking but then again, uh, if I am using a hyperlink like a normal person that includes the headline of a news article, does that fall under the exception for acts of hyperlinking? That's pretty much an open question that will have to be answered in the courts. Yeah. You, you mentioned the, the, the amount of lobbying that was taking place for you as a legislator was, was really unprecedented in your own experience. What was the reaction like from the public as a whole? I can recall seeing stories and images of protests surrounding this particular piece of legislation. Yeah. So um, for a very long time, uh, the uh, negotiations were mostly being discussed kind of online and um, there was a lot of controversy around the neighboring right, a lot of back and forth. And um, like I mentioned, the, the Legal Affairs Committee had a vote where the neighboring right was adopted with a one vote majority. And after that, uh, the bill went to plenary and um, we received a lot of emails from uh, concerned citizens about this proposal. And um, the position of the Legal Affairs Committee was actually voted down. So uh, basically the law only passed on the second attempt because uh, in the first case, um, the plenary voted against it because of all of these, uh, this public concern that we were receiving. And so after the plenary voted down the first version, there was a quite concerted uh, disinformation campaign, I have to say, that was led by the press publishers, where they were trying to convince the members of parliament that all of these emails that they had received were sent by bots. Um, so basically they were arguing, oh, it's Google who doesn't want this law to be passed because we want Google to pay for the news. And um, because of that, they have basically built 
bots that are sending tens of thousands of uh, emails to MEPs and there aren't any real citizens who care about this. Um, and uh, in, in parallel to that, the press publishers also started a campaign where a, um, a reporter from a war zone started an open letter um, that was supposed to uh, convince people to vote in favor of the neighboring right. And it was basically arguing that if the neighboring right is not adopted, a lot of journalists are going to die in war zones. So it was a pretty outlandish argument, but I was actually able to find out with my team that this journalist had been asked by the um, news uh, organization AFP, so uh, the French um, news wire uh, operator to start this open letter in the first place and that he didn't actually know very much about the law in question. So this was a case where basically um, an, a news agency was asking one of its employees who, who was a reporter in Baghdad to start a grassroots campaign in favor of this law using completely crazy arguments about you know the safety the physical safety of journalists in war zones but um all of this campaigning really impressed uh, the members of parliament like they were receiving visits from their local newspaper editors from their constituencies and of course uh these this had a, a big made a big impression on MEPs because uh the members of parliament are generally pretty dependent on a good relationship with their local news networks. So uh, they passed this proposal in the second attempt. And um, what they probably did not expect was that it led to widespread street pro protests. Because of course, the people who sent these emails against the uh, copyright legislation were not bots. They were real people who had suddenly been accused of uh, basically being fabricated by a large tech company. So um, we saw in March, 2019, just before the law was adopted, about 200,000 people on the streets in Europe, most of them in Germany, holding up signs saying things like, I'm not a bot and pro uh, protesting against this reform. And the two main concerns were uh, the upload filter provision and the neighboring right for press publishers. That's, I mean, it's a remarkable to see that many people get that get engaged and concerned around what, what ultimately are, are core copyright issues. But of course, part of it is the implications are, are so much broader in terms of expression, competition, and, and all those other sorts of related issues. So, so the bill does pass, or the proposal does ultimately pass through the parliament, and I know through the council as well. What's been the experience to date? Which countries have, have moved ahead with trying to implement this? So far, only France has actually implemented uh, the proposal. Um, so a lot of other countries have started um, things like public consultations on their uh, national implementations. So Germany has done that as well. They uh, published a draft law that is actually relatively similar to the old neighboring right uh, in Germany that was uh, already declared invalid, but it is broader. So the old neighboring right for press publishers in Germany only applied to search engines and news aggregators. And the new one applies to all online services. So it's a lot broader in its application. 
um, because basically any website, including things like Wikipedia, uh, that were excluded from the old neighboring right would have to um, get licenses for for the use of these snippets. So um, uh, in France, uh, as far as I know, they're the only ones who have actually passed uh, the proposal into law. And um, there, uh, at first, the situation was relatively similar to Germany that Google said, okay, if if we are required to pay for snippets of a certain length, we're not going to show those long snippets anymore. But uh, what has changed is that um, the press publishers have turned to the competition authority who has made an interim um, decision requiring Google to engage in negotiations with uh, the publishers. So this is not a final decision yet. And I have to say on kind of purely competition grounds, uh, it's a very strange interim decision. I mean, uh, the press publishers tried the same in the past in Germany, uh, making a competition complaint. And I think the German Competition Authority correctly uh, pointed out that it's not an abuse of a dominant position if you decide not to use a service that costs money. Um, so it might have been discrimination if Google had decided to not carry uh, links to certain newspapers anymore without any reason. But if the publishers start charging money for the privilege of linking to their news content, then of course uh, it's not a violation of competition rules for a company to decide to not use those snippets anymore. Basically what the publishers want to argue is that uh, linking to their content costs money and Google should be required to do so because actually um, linking to the news articles both hurts the publishers and benefits them at the same time. That's their argument basically, that if you don't link to them, then you don't get coverage. But if you do link to them, that somehow this is so harmful that Google should pay for it. Yeah, I mean, I find that the response quite remarkable, given that the argument was uh, obviously placing this in the con in the framing of copyright. But both in France and and as many will know in Australia right now, the the copyright arguments aren't proving effective because there is, of course, always the option to say, well, we're just not going to pay for these materials, and we think that there's enough other choices out there that our users will be satisfied. Uh, and so, in other words, we don't think this is something that we ultimately have to pay for because we don't really need the service. And yet, the attempt is to use competition law as the mechanism to effectively force one side to pay for something, which is uh, yeah. a kind of unusual position to be in. I think, I mean, personally, I don't agree with the competition argument, but I think even if you agreed with that, then you wouldn't need to reform copyright law. If you think that competition law is a basis to force uh, Google to uh, show the news content and pay for it, then you wouldn't have to change the copyright law in a way that doesn't just affect Google, it's affect everybody who is using this content. So I think this is kind of the huge collateral damage that uh, this fight between the news publishers and Google is causing for the rest of us is that um, if you introduce a provision in copyright law, then any website owner who is using uh, press material in any way, even if it's just uh, 
referring to the headlines, is affected by this change and potentially has to pay the press publishers. And of course, the press publishers are probably not going to be very forthcoming in negotiating with completely insignificant small website owners. So um, even if you think that Google should somehow be forced to subsidize the news industry because they uh, destroyed the market for print newspaper ads, uh, you can do that, but you don't have to do it through copyright law. Yeah, and that's certainly, I think, the point some have been making. Although, as as we start as we started off the, on this podcast, it's the Canadian Heritage Minister grounded his comments about where he wants to go very much directly within copyright, which is uh, a curious discussion. Why, why don't we close actually with that? If, you know, you yeah. you've you've been a politician that obviously. Uh, worked through over many years, seeing both sides, seeing many of the arguments and found yourself right in, in the center of, of a very public debate uh, throughout Europe. What kind of advice would you have for the Canadian minister, for Canadian officials more broadly as they think about mirroring the European mm. approach? I think uh, it would be really important to learn from the very negative results of these attempts in Germany and Spain. So I think uh, you are very correct that if this is the the regulatory approach that Canada chooses to subsidize the press sector, that probably it's going to be harmful for the visibility of Canadian press and probably also for uh, the use of specific Canadian news aggregators, because people might find that uh, the offer they find from from U.S. services is is more complete and is more something that uh, uh, meets their needs. So I think if your only goal is to subsidize the news sector through payments from the likes of Google and Facebook, there are probably better ways of doing that. Um, than changing copyright law. But I also um, want to highlight the real negative impact that this sort of law has on domestic IT businesses and also smaller press publishers. Because um, if the end result is that Google stops carrying links to uh, news articles from Canada, which might very well be the end result. I mean, I think the, the competition challenge is very flimsy. And even if it goes ahead, I think competition rules in Canada are quite different from Europe. Um, the end result could be that uh, Canadian newspapers are simply less visible. And that hurts primarily the smaller publishers. If you are the largest newspaper in the country, you probably expect a lot of people to go directly to your homepage. But the smaller, the more local a newspaper gets, the more they rely on third-party traffic from hyperlinks. So I think this might also be a hidden agenda uh, of uh, the press publisher who started lobbying for this. Uh, So they happen to have the largest tabloid in Germany. So maybe they don't have such a big problem with news aggregators disappearing because plenty of people go straight to their homepage. But uh, it's a pretty effective way of drowning out the smaller competition. So you might actually lose some of the media pluralism you have. So it would be really counterproductive if your goal is to to maintain media pluralism and especially help the smaller financially struggling newspapers out there. 
Yeah, well, thanks for that. I mean, it's it's early days, so given that this is just comments coming from a minister, but uh, they certainly, I think, have, have caught a lot of people's attention, and I'd hope that the experience elsewhere, and particularly the experience that, that you've highlighted, will be instructive as Canada works through some of these proposals. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy Brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. <music>